turn to the, to the Word of God this morning to two different places. First, to the Old Testament, to the prophecy of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 16. And then after that, we'll read a few verses, the latter few verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, or 6. But first, Ezekiel chapter 16, we'll read the first 14 verses, which describes for us the covenant relationship that God draws his people into and, and saving them and entering into a marriage with them. Ezekiel 16, verse 1, again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. And say, Thus saith the Lord God unto Jerusalem, Thy birth and thy nativity is of the land of Canaan. Thy father was an Amorite, and thy mother an Hittite. And as for thy nativity, in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pitied thee to do any of these unto thee, to have compassion upon thee, but thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. And when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. I have caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field, and thou hast increased and waxen great, and thou art come to excellent ornaments. Thy breasts are fashioned, and thine hair is grown, whereas thou wast naked and bare. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love, and I spread my skirt over thee, and covered thy nakedness, Yea, I swear unto thee, and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. Then washed I thee with water, yea, I thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee, and I anointed thee with oil. I clothed thee also with broidered work, and shod thee with badger's skin, and I girded thee about with fine linen, and I covered thee with silk. I decked thee also with ornaments, and I put bracelets upon thy hands, and a chain on thy neck, and I put a jewel on thy forehead, and earrings in thine ears, and a beautiful crown upon thine head. Thus wast thou decked with gold and silver, and thy raiment was of fine linen, and silk embroidered work. Thou didst eat fine flour and honey and oil, and thou wast exceeding beautiful, and thou didst prosper into a kingdom. And thy renown went forth among the heathen for thy beauty, for it was perfect through my comeliness, which I had put upon thee, saith the Lord God. Now let's turn to the New Testament, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6.
1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll begin reading at verse 20, and let's read to the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. God's. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired word. God bless the reading of his word to our hearts. It's on the basis of these two passages that we read and others like it that we have the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 41. Lord's Day 41, the Catechism in the third section, expounding the Ten Commandments up to the Seventh Commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Question 108, what doth the Seventh Commandment teach us? That all uncleanness is accursed of God, and that therefore we must with all our hearts detest the same and live chastely and temperately whether in holy wedlock or in single life. Doth God forbid in this commandment only adultery and such like gross sins? Since both our body and soul are temples of the Holy Ghost, he commands us to preserve them pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste actions, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever can entice men thereto. <clears throat> Beloved congregation, in our Lord Jesus Christ, the seventh commandment forbids such gross sins as the outward act of adultery but closely associated with that is the sin of sexual abuse. And it's the seventh commandment, among other commandments, that becomes the basis even for the decision taken by 
synod this summer that we are all well aware of, that by the decision of synod this summer to secure the services of a third party to investigate sexual abuse within the PRC, the occasion being many instances of clergy members and others in positions of authority who go on to abuse their positions of authority and to prey on the weak and the vulnerable. The sin of sexual abuse is addressed and condemned by the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The seventh commandment does not only forbid such gross sins as the outward act of adultery, it also forbids all uncleanness that is associated with and leads to the gross sin of adultery. So that the seventh commandment not only forbids the inappropriate gestures and words, it also forbids the very thought of adultery. That's what our Lord and Savior says in Matthew 5, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And there the context, Jesus is especially exposing the Pharisees, the Pharisees who limited the seventh commandment to the outward act of adultery. But Jesus says, no, but in your heart as well, with what you see and what you think, you are able to break this commandment. And this is a commandment that comes to us as God's people as well, a commandment that especially, though not exclusively, but especially pertains to us as men and to you young men, obedience to the seventh commandment and love for God, not to mention love for your families, love for your spouses, but obedience to the seventh commandment requires we refrain and that we do not look and dwell upon that pornographic image, that we put it away, and that, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, that we must with all our hearts detest the same, which means that we run away and we remove any and all occasion of being exposed to that sexual The Heidelberg Catechism reminds us in answer 109 that our bodies and souls are temples of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need to remember. That's who we are as God's people. So that whether you are a child, a young person, married, young or old, whatever you're lot in life is, but this is who we are, temples of the Holy Spirit. And then with respect not only to our souls, but now especially also with regard to our bodies. To us who are the temples of the Holy Spirit comes the command, thou shalt not commit adultery. And then the positive aspect of that command, thou shalt live chastely, Thou shalt live temperately. And there's good reason for this command. And the reason is that we don't belong to ourselves. 
Our bodies don't belong to ourselves. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our bodies belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the gospel to us this morning in connection with the seventh commandment. The gospel is this. Jesus Christ died for us. Jesus Christ died for our souls. But if Jesus Christ died only for our souls, then he would not be a complete deliverer. Jesus Christ died for not only our souls, but for our bodies, to redeem our bodies from the bondage and corruption of the flesh. And therefore, as 1 Corinthians 6.20 states, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which That's the theme for our sermon this morning, preserving our bodies pure and holy. Let's note in the first place our faithfulness to God, and then in the second place God's faithfulness to us, preserving our bodies pure and holy. The seventh commandment is all about faithfulness. And in this first point, I want to speak about two states in our life where we are called to be faithful unto God. And that's in the married, married state and then also in the single state. And so first, the seventh commandment forbids adultery. And that applies to those of us who are currently the Heidelberg Catechism mentions marriage in answer 108 when it uses that phrase, holy wedlock. Holy wedlock. What, what is wedlock? What is that bond of marriage? Well, it's, it's two becoming one. So that not only do we share one home and one bed, but the married couple also even shares one life. As scripture says that when a man leaves father and mother, he shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That's the bond of marriage. That's wedlock. And then why is it called holy? Well, because holiness is all about devotion, about being consecrated one to another. Holiness in marriage is all about devoting yourself to your spouse and your spouse alone. And that's something our marriages ought to be, where we, we devote ourselves to one another. We think about each other. We labor for the good and for the welfare of one another, and we enjoy one another. And that's why the seventh commandment is such a horrible, terrible, and disgusting sin. Because adultery is when a third party enters into this bond where there may only be two. So adultery isn't only when one engages in a sexual relationship with another who is not his or her spouse, but so many other ways on the part of men, but women too, but looking at and lusting after that other person in your mind and in your heart. Remember the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5, whosoever looketh on a woman 
to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So that as married men, we are ever so careful what we put before our eyes, and obviously this applies to those of us who are single, careful what we put before our eyes, on the computer, on the phone, Adultery includes all these ways to engage in sex apart from one's spouse. And because marriage is when husband and wife are devoted to each other and cleave to one another and stick and cling to one another, transgressing the seventh commandment happens even when either husband or wife would, would form that kind of emotional relationship with that third party, especially with one of the opposite sex, so that instead of husband and wife sitting down and talking to each other and opening up their hearts and souls to one another, but when they would feel more comfortable doing that with somebody else, with a coworker, with the neighbor, or whom have you. And though no sexual relationship may occur, yet so close is the bond of marriage that even that kind of emotional relationship with somebody else is forbidden. This is adultery. The Catechism says that all uncleanness is accursed of God, and therefore we also must detest the same. But God detests adultery. God regards adultery as a sin that's repulsive to him. And so God says, thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. God does not leave it up to our judgment. This isn't what God prefers that we would do. But the almighty, glorious, heavenly Majestic God of heaven and of earth curses and detests adultery. And we must do the same. This is the commandment that God gives, and by doing so, God protects our marriages. Because what is the temptation of our natures? The temptation is for me to focus all my attention on the weakness of my spouse and all of the faults that my spouse might have and then to go out and to develop a relationship with another and to justify that relationship saying, but, but, but my spouse doesn't meet my needs. My spouse doesn't understand me anymore. But God says, no, thou shalt not commit Adultery, And when God says don't commit adultery, then, then that doesn't mean that you just have to suck it up and live in a miserable, rotten marriage with your spouse for the rest of your life. But it means to speak to your spouse about the issues that you might be having. What is it that's preventing me from having those meaningful conversations with my husband, with my wife? What is it that is preventing us from enjoying intimacy in the marriage state? And then for the two of you to bring your needs 
before God and to find grace in him, to see that your husband, to see that your wife is indeed the exact one that God has chosen for me and that with this one I will find my happiness and my enjoyment in life. And so God uses this commandment. He gives us this commandment to protect our marriages. But for those who are married, the seventh commandment also implies now the positive. Thou shalt not commit adultery, but thou shalt. And the shalt is, thou shalt love thy spouse. And the positive is, thou shalt be faithful to thy spouse. And that means living with one another. Living truly and deeply. Not living two different lives under the same roof but one life so that husband and wife can say that we know each other, knowing each other not only in the sexual relationship, but in the knowledge of love and friendship. The positive part of the command means, as the catechism says, that we will live chastely and temperately. That applies to us who are married. To those of us who are married, we are required to behave ourselves in a very chaste way. That means that we are pure in heart so that we as husbands and that we as wives, we are chaste and that means that we have eyes only for our spouse and not for another. Being chaste means that as husband and wife, we are pure in heart and faithful to God, that we are pure in heart faithful to one another. And not only chaste, but we are also called to be temperate. Temperate. That's the spiritual grace of self-control. Self-control. What's the opposite of temperance? That would be acting impulsively in the heat of the moment without any thinking. And now you apply that to an Old Testament example, apply that to Joseph when he was in Potiphar's house. And you remember when Potiphar's wife came to him and made that wicked, ungodly proposition that he lie with her? What would be an impulsive, reckless answer on the part of Joseph? Yes, I'll do it. Let's get it over with. Thanks be to God that God was with Joseph, giving him this grace of self-control so that he could instantly analyze the situation, so that he could even anticipate it beforehand. And he knew what his answer would be. How can I do this and sin against my The seventh commandment also applies not only to those of us who are married, but those who live in the single state. Thou shalt not commit adultery also means thou shalt not commit fornication. Now fornication is a broad term that refers to all kinds of sexual uncleanness, not only the specific form 
of sexual uncleanness on part of a married person, which we usually refer to as adultery, but any and all uncleanness, whether that uncleanness takes the form of lying with that harlot or prostitute, the gross sexual sin of homosexuality, but all these are regarded as fornication, as when God says in the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. But now I apply that word fornication, um, especially to you who are teenagers, especially to those of you who are young people and young adults and single. Such a dangerous sin is fornication that the Bible gives a very unique command regarding it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18, we read this, flee fornication. Flee fornication. Don't try to get as close as possible to that sin, all the while convincing myself, well, I'm still safe. Don't stop and enjoy it from a distance, but you run away. And I say that's a unique command with regard to the seventh commandment because with regard to other types of sins that we might encounter, take, for example, the sin of false doctrine, if you encounter someone who holds to a false doctrine, the word of God doesn't say you have to run away. You may speak with that person. You may open up the Bible. You may reason with that person out of Scripture. But the Bible says you don't do that when you're confronted with the sin of fornication. In that instance, you run and you flee so that, for example, you encounter a grizzly bear up on that mountain path and you see that bear up ahead of you and it sees you. All right, right then and there, you are in a very dangerous position. You don't try and reason with that beast. You don't try to get as close as possible to that beast, but you go in the opposite direction. You flee and you get yourself out of that horrible situation lest you die. And beloved, that's fornication. You don't stop and admire it. You don't stop and take pictures from afar but you run and you flee. It's out to get you. It's hungry for your destruction. And so you run away from that horrible sin and that temptation of fornication. Flee from it. And now fornication for the single person can also take the form of engaging in sexual relations before marriage. That's forbidden by God in this commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And that's the word of God to you young people. That's the word of God to those of you who are single of whatever age you might be. And how do we know that from the scripture? Because this is the testimony of scripture. In 1 Corinthians 6, in verse 18, where we have that command from God's word, flee Fornication, something, mind you, the apostle would not say if fornication were permitted on the part of the single 
or the young person, but rather flee fornication. And then in the next chapter, chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, the word of God says, I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. That verse teaches a lot. One of the things it teaches is this, is that if you are unmarried, it is your duty to contain yourself in the single state. And then it's made explicitly clear in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 6, or Hebrews 13, verse 4. Hebrews 13, verse 4, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. And that teaches and implies that the bed is defiled when single adults engage in that which is only allowed in a married state. For those of us then who are single, there are especially two lessons that I draw out from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the chapter of the Bible that we read earlier. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18 says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Now, there there are other sins that damage the body as well. There there is drunkenness. There is gluttony. But fornication and, and sexual sins are sins against the body in a category all by itself. Sins that rot the body. Sins that fill the mind with rottenness. No sinful act desecrates the body more fornication, and these sexual sins. Because this sin of fornication arises from within and therefore desecrates the very sanctuary of the body. The second lesson we learn from 1 Corinthians 6 is the comparison drawn between our bodies and the temple of God. You can't miss that. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? So now the Apostle Paul brings up the temple. And now bring to your mind's eye that Old Testament temple. The temple was God's dwelling place. The temple, there is where God dwelt in covenant love and and friendship with his people. And you remember the holy, righteous anger of Jesus when he came to the temple and he cast out those buyers and the sellers because they desecrated the temple of God and they made it a den of thieves and robbers. Can you imagine doing that to the temple of God? Our bodies, temples of the Holy Spirit. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Know ye not then, the Bible is saying, that God dwells in you? 
through the Holy Spirit given you? And are we going to defile the temple of God? Like those buyers and sellers did in the Old Testament? 1 Corinthians 6.15, Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. God forbid that we would ever do that, which is to say that even our bodies must be used in service to God. There's application for those of us here who are single. God has not seen fit to give you a spouse at this time. Application here for you young people as well. Um, If you desire a spouse, you pray to God. Pray that God will give you the spirit. He'll lead you, that he'll guide you. Pray for contentment as God leads you. But in the meantime, we must remember that our bodies are not some cheap possession to be used for the lust of the flesh. The Heidelberg Catechism says that we must use our bodies chastely and temperately, which is another way of saying, know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Don't defile it. Don't desecrate it. Don't treat it as some cheap thing. Your body is not some cheap thing. The Lord Jesus Christ died for your body. Use your body in the service of God. And that requires for those of us who are single, especially you young people, that we're we're going to surround ourselves with friends who are of like mind and like faith. The person who acts like he or she is my friend, but then that person would encourage me and prompt me to violate these principles of the word of God, especially pertaining to the seventh commandment, well, then that person is no friend at all, but rather shows himself or herself to be my enemy and setting that temptation for my downfall. And it means that for you young people, that, what, that you recognize that what the world portrays in the movies and in the drama of this world It simply is not true that to achieve happiness and contentment, all you have to do is give your body over to fornication so that two single adults come together and fornicate together and go on to live happily ever after. And you realize, young people, young adults, all of us, that's not true. That's not true. That's a lie that the world sets before us so that we would fall into this trap and into this temptation. There's a calling for us as parents. Parents, do you teach your children these truths? Parents, do you teach your children how to flee Fornication, it means that we talk to our children, we talk to our young people, it means that we communicate with them, it means that we're open with them. And for you young people, do you know why mom and dad want to know where you are going out at night and what you're going to be doing and who you're going to be with? Do you want to know why young people, why mom and dad might even see it necessary at times to set a curfew for you so that you are home at a reasonable time. Now, there are a lot of reasons 
But one of the reasons is this, is because your mom and your dad know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Ghost to be preserved for him and that they don't want your body to be desecrated. And even with all of the rules and regulations that go with living at home and going out with my friends, even in that small way, my parents are teaching me fornication. In whatever state we live, as married or single, let us flee fornication and adultery, and in all respects, being faithful to God and faithful to one another. And all the above, this is possible. It's possible for you and for me to obey this commandment, and it's possible because of God's faithfulness to us. And that faithfulness of God is brought out in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What does that mean? That means that when Christ died on the cross to save me from my sins, to make me his own, that that saving work of Jesus Christ extends not only to my soul, but then also to my body. And here is our answer to the world. What does the world say to us? The world says, you may do what you want with your body. Your body is your own. You may do whatever you want. Don't let anybody tell you what to do with your body. To which we respond, no, no, no. my body doesn't belong to me. My body belongs to Christ. My Savior died on the cross to deliver not only my soul, but my body from the power of sin and from that destruction of sin. And now it becomes our duty, even our privilege, to go out and glorify God, to glorify him not only in the depths of my soul, which we do, but to glorify God also in my body, as verse 20 states, glorifying God in my body and in my spirit, which are God's. Now, do we sometimes fall into the error of thinking that, that, well, Jesus Christ died on the cross to save me from my sins? I know that. I've been taught that. But all he requires of me is that I love him in my soul, first of all, and then it, if I can get around to it, that I'll glorify God in my body. Or this. Well, I only have a small beginning of the new obedience. and That small beginning of the new obedience really applies mostly to my soul, keeping my soul pure. But, but my body, you know, that, that's mainly for myself. If we are of that mind then we forget that when Jesus Christ died, he died in the body 
and that Jesus will save us as a complete human being, save my soul and my body. The word of God in the next book, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Now that's not only that's not only referring to the marks of persecution, which we might very well see on our bodies one day, but then even more broadly, it's referring to the life of Jesus Christ manifest in my body, in all of my daily conversation, in my thinking, and in my doing, that I live in such a way that I consecrate my body to the Lord Jesus Christ who loved me and gave his life for me. So that not only do I serve my Lord and my Savior in my soul, but also with my body. Body does not belong to myself. My ears do not belong to myself. What I listen to, my eyes do not belong to myself. What I look at, my feet do not belong to myself. I can go where I please. Not, our bodies and every single member of our body belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. I will press all that I am in my spirit and in my body into the service of my Lord my Savior, who died for me and redeemed me from the power of sin. That's the faithfulness of God to us. He sent his only begotten Son into this world to take upon himself our flesh and who died for us, who has redeemed us body and soul. We also have this aspect of God's faithfulness that's in that first portion of scripture that we read earlier from Ezekiel chapter 16. There we read of God's faithfulness. And what we have in Ezekiel 16 is a description of God entering into a covenant with his people. What we have is a description of God marrying the church. And we read in Ezekiel 16 of a child abandoned thrown out into the middle of the field and, and thrown out into that field and left for dead. Verse 5, None I pitied thee to do any of these unto thee, which is what verse 4 says, to wash that baby in water, to wrap that baby, to hold that. Not, nobody was around to do those things. To have compassion upon thee, but thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. What did God do when he saw the church as that abandoned, dependent, helpless infant, destitute, laying out there in the open field? Verse 8, now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. And I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness and entered into a covenant with thee saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. 
And then the following verses in Ezekiel 16 speak of all of the wonderful things that God has done for the church and describes how beautiful that Jehovah God makes the church. This is the relationship between God and his church. God is married to his people in Jesus Christ so that Christ is the bridegroom and we are the bride and God is faithful in that relationship. God is devoted in his love to us, promising to be with us and to love us forever and ever. And isn't that what the marriage relationship is all about? It's all about faithfulness and love and devotion and friendship. And God has established a covenant with us in Jesus Christ. And in that relationship, our God, he is faithful. And God is faithful to us even when we are not faithful to him. Because the reality is that we sin daily. And sometimes our sins are gross transgressions of his law. So that God, as our husband, has every reason to say that my wife is not making me happy. She has played the harlot and become disgusting to me. And I want to find an, another wife. Now, hypothetically, God could say that. God, he doesn't say that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't cast us off. He doesn't sin against us. But on the contrary, he shows his love all the more. He forgives our sins. He restores us when we fall. He draws us close to him. He, he, he puts his arms around us and draws us closer to himself as he does in the preaching of the gospel. And he says, my wife, I love you. You are mine. And you belong to me. And you are safe. And you are secure. And so people of God, do we understand the greatness of this marriage relationship that God has brought us into with himself? And do we know and understand that whether or not we have an earthly spouse, but yet that we all do have a spouse, every single one of us that for God's children, we are married. We are married to our Lord Jesus Christ, who will never leave us nor forsake us. Do we understand that? Because if we don't, then we won't get earthly marriage right because we don't have the reality right in our minds to begin with. Seeking God's grace, let us keep this commandment. Let us do it in love for the neighbor. This is a commandment in the second table of God's law. We don't want the judgment of God to come and to fall upon the neighbor if we become the occasion for the neighbor to fall into this sin and into this temptation. And remember, too, that I am my closest neighbor, and how can I join my body to a harlot? When my body is redeemed, 
through the precious blood of my Savior. And then too, let's keep this commandment out of love for the God of our salvation who is always faithful unto us and who gives us the strength to fight against and to flee fornication to the glory of his name. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, we thank thee for thy word to us this morning. Apply it to our hearts and lives. Impress upon us thy faithfulness to us. And then give us thy spirit that we would be faithful to thee. As those who are married, faithful to our husbands and wives, as those of us who are single, faithful to thee, our God, and to wait upon thee. For all of these things, we feel ourselves to be weak. We know our own sins. Do thou strengthen us by thy spirit. Give us joy in these commandments and give us joy in the covenant relationship that thou hast established with us, knowing that thou art our God who never leaves us nor forsakes us. Bless us in the remainder of this worship service and in the remainder of the Sabbath day and forgive our sins. In Jesus' name we pray.